Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation and welcome to this podcast which is about LGBTQ plus initiatives across the FE sector. In this podcast you will be joined by Jeff Greenwich who is the Director of Diversity at Association of Colleges, Kelly Townend who is a Quality and Operations Manager at West Yorkshire Partnership, Lindsay Johnson who is the Principal and CEO at Craven College, Millie, who is currently a student at Craven College and also heads up student support. Dr. Anne Lim, who is chair at City and Guilds. Jay Sloan, who is an independent consultant. And Apinda Sidhu, who is a diversity and inclusion lead at Education and Training Foundation. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm Jeff Greenwich, the Director for Diversity at the Association of Colleges and formerly with the Education and Training Foundation as well. And I'm really pleased to be um, to be here today to start this conversation about Pride in FE. We talk about inclusion a lot, and this is one aspect of inclusion which is really close to my heart. And with me today, we've got a number of uh, people who will share some of their thoughts around Pride in FE. We've got Dr. Anne Lim, we've got Jay Sloan, Lindsay Johnson, we've got Kelly Townend, Apinda, and we've got Millie as well with us today. I'll start off by asking Kelly, though, to say who she is and uh, just give us an idea as to what this whole Pride in FE project's about. Thank you. So my name is Kelly Townend, pronouns she, her. I'm the Operations and Quality Manager for West Yorkshire Learning Providers. So we run the regional network for FE and skills providers in West Yorkshire. And from conversations which we'd had with providers and also from the point of view of us being contract holders and actually going out and seeing sessions, we felt that there was a bit of a gap in confidence levels in actually supporting greater inclusion for LGBT individuals, whether they be staff or whether it be learners. It always seems as though when people think of inclusion, they feel happier and more confident to tackle other areas such as race or gender. And actually the confidence piece to actually support LGBT individuals is lacking. And we identified that sometimes it's a fear of getting it wrong, which results in nothing happening. And actually it's better to get it wrong than to do nothing. And that's what we need to make sure. And it's not about changing our logos for June for Pride Month. LGBT pride should be throughout the year, every day, every year. It's not about just being for June. As such, we identified that we wanted to make sure that this was high on the agenda, that we drew attention to this for our providers. And we applied to the Education Training Foundation for a small allocation of funding to be able to work on this agenda with outcomes involving establishing a community of practice for practitioners to be able to access so that actually they have a safe space to bring any challenges or concerns to actually be able to learn from each other as well as we know that there are some individuals who are more confident than others. We'll be working as well to complete, now we're in our extension phase, a Padlet which is full of resources to be able to support practitioners, as well as a stakeholder toolkit which we can ultimately be able to share for the sector to be able to actually reflect truly on our organisations and identify for ourselves an action plan for greater inclusion in not only our environments but also in our curriculums for LGBT individuals. Thanks, Kelly. That's a really helpful introduction. Can I go first to um, Dr. Anne Lim to ask what's your in, what's your interest in this, Anne? 
Well, for those of you who can actually see as well as hear, I'm getting a bit old in the tooth now. And I wish when I was a further education college principal, like the wonderful Lindsay is now and leading a college, that the conditions, the opportunities, the culture that prevails today existed because it didn't in the 80s and the 90s. And being a a member of the LGTB community then was even against the law if you're working in education. So my interest Jeff, is in being inspired by the students like Millie here and by the leadership of people like Lindsay and Kelly, as you've just heard, to say this is really great that you're part of changing things. And yet, as Kelly just said, it's still very difficult for many students and staff to feel safe, to feel okay, just about being the human being that they are and bringing that to college and to to the workplace. So I want to champion this and to support this wonderful wave of leaders and organisations that are now very much more open and supportive and indeed challenging of the establishment, because every human being, however they identify themselves, is equal in my eyes and should be valued in that way. Thanks, Anne. That's lovely. There is a wave of leaders and um, people out there now who are making great impact in this area. And I met Jay a while ago and they really inspired me in the perspective that they offered. So, Jay, could you give us your interest in this topic today? Yeah, Sure. I mean, one of the things that I'm involved in is I I was a co-founder, but also the current co-chair of an organization called the Proud Science Alliance. And because I've been involved in inclusion work, particularly focused around LGBTQ plus inclusion for like 10 years in the pharmaceutical industry where I used to work, I think my involvement in the Proud Science Alliance is important to mention because when we think about the work that we're doing, really trying to change the industry in which we work, the science and healthcare sector, to be more inclusive. That includes what we describe as school to CEO. And so when you think about education in particular, we always have a focus around those even in secondary school and then onto university. Because what I've noticed is that as we try and change the sector, maybe people don't know about it, but also there isn't necessarily a focus around students in particular going into the sciences, let's say, or technology or areas like that. And in fact, they're underrepresented from a queer population. And so, and because of my experience, I would say in industry and and everything, what I what I come with is certainly this desire, you know, to be part of the conversation, saying, for those in education at the moment, there are possibilities. That's really important, I think, to emphasize, and also uh, to share the knowledge if I can, you know, that that might be helpful from the work that I've done. Yeah, thanks for that. It's clearly that from outside of education, we we can learn from others. And I like the way you say that there are there are possibilities uh, out there. Thanks for that, Jay. Can I go to Lindsay and um, and Millie? And perhaps Millie first. Um, Millie, you know, what are you expecting from today? What do you, what do you want to share with us today? I would kind of like to like kind of get my point across as to why students and tutors especially should feel supported because in school it was really hard. It was quite a few years ago now, but it was really hard to like be out and open to people. In fact, school actually advised against us being out and open. So it's like it's really important that we should kind of like speak out about it and make it become more normalised to speak about in school. That's that's so interesting to hear that about normalising. Yeah. Um, normalising things and it it works right across the whole 
inclusion agenda. This is not something which is difficult. This is this is about our behaviour. This is about how we approach things and how we we speak, how we ask questions, how curious we are. So thanks, uh, uh, Millie, for that. And can I ask Lindsay then to give us her give us their perspective on this? Hi, Jeff, and thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so. Craven College is a small general further education college um, in North Yorkshire, the gateway to the Yorkshire Dales. And as you can imagine, I think historically we'll have been seen as quite a, a white middle class culture with very little diversity. But actually, as most parts of the country, we are becoming a much more diverse community. And as such, we need to support one another to become more inclusive and recognise what everybody brings into our respective community. So I'm very keen to support everybody within the college to be their authentic selves. And a little bit like Millie just suggested, I think that to hide oneself means to not be that whole person. And if somebody can come to college and feel that they can be authentic and they can be true to themselves, then they are going to be more productive and ultimately happier. And I'm reminded of the fact that for myself and probably a little bit like Anne, when I started my career in further education, I wouldn't say I necessarily hid who I was, but I tried to project somebody that I absolutely wasn't. And um, I often quote the date of the 6th of June 1994, quite a momentous date. It was the day that I got my first job as a lecturer in an agricultural college and also the last time that I wore a skirt and pretended to be somebody that I'm not. And I'm now um, somebody who classes themselves as a visible LGBT plus leader and having not really had to come out, but I did come out as non-binary, which really reflects who I am. And so I'm keen to support staff and students, as Millie suggested, to perhaps normalise or just allow that feeling of acceptance and enable people to not be scared to make mistakes, to respect one another's individuality and to support them in their use of language or indeed in terms of allowing them to see the wider rainbow of people on the LGBT plus spectrum. Thanks, Lindsay. That visible leadership is is crucial, isn't it? It's from those who exhibit certain characteristics, but also from those who don't, and that we all need to take a lead in this. And I, I love the way you say that. And also that diversity just exists and it's up to us whether to fight it or to celebrate it and actually make the most of it and help people to be them to be themselves you know mm. it's taken me a long time to be myself and be comfortable with, you know being being who i am so i think we all go through those struggles of assimilation and um trying to fit in i suppose jeff can i just make um uh, listening to all of those inputs um the, the point that strikes me which is that distressing to hear what Millie said about school but I mean further education colleges are very much linked to the community and to the workplace and Jay made the point um, coming from the world of work that he does that you know what's critical now is that the connections between different environments are made and that actually that should in theory make it a lot easier to become normalized to to be the authentic self but i think that 
FE colleges are uniquely placed because they're not isolated institutions. They're very much out there in the world. FE plays a leading role, not just in training and in skills, of course, but actually in being a leader in a community. So I just think that really will help accelerate the the kind of normalization. I don't like that word normalization, but you take what I'm saying. It will accelerate it, perhaps in a way that it's maybe harder for some schools to do. I don't know what goes on in schools goes on in schools. But what I think is terrific for further education and given the support that the Education Training Foundation are giving the training providers, as Kelly has said, and others, is the collective leadership of that in relation to LGTB matters is really pioneering. And we should we should say celebrate that more. Thanks, Anne. Thanks. That's, that's lovely what you say there about those uh, connections. And FE touches the workplace, the community, and it is a community in itself. So why wouldn't we be in the prime position to make a change? Can I go to Lindsay first, into Kelly? Lindsay? Thanks. Yeah. Well, I do think that Anne makes a really valid point. And as further education colleges, we should be helping employers. So one thing that the pandemic has done is it has made it easier to really bring businesses and colleges closer together. I've spoken to a a large community of staff within Skipton Building Society to talk about what it means to be LGBT plus in an organisation, what it means to really be a leader Uh, Because everybody can be a leader. Everybody has got an opinion and and can support one another. And then secondly, uh, within our community, we're we're really excited. But this year, Skipton is going to have its first ever Pride event with the college really at the heart of that. And Millie and the SU stepping up to help and support with some of that which is a really, really big deal for our part of the country. And what I would say to any leaders out there is look to see how you can be involved in any LGBT plus activism that you can get behind, because we still need this. We haven't got to that point where LGBT plus inclusion is normal. We still face significant challenge. But if we can go forward as a college community and support and help and educate and advise, we can really make a difference. Thanks, Lindsay. Not only have you said about visible leadership, but you also said about leaders actually getting involved, looking out there to see what they can actually do to uh, make the change. Can I go to Lindsay then and then to Jay? Lindsay first? Kelly, sorry. Oh, yeah, I think just to kind of piggyback on onto what um, Anne just said, that's one thing that we've been really, really trying to champion because we've got the majority of our membership is actually small ITPs, which are working with apprentices. So the domino effect that we want to have is that actually this filters right into the workplace. It filters into the heart of where these apprentices are working. As FE and skills providers, we only get a small snapshot of time, really, with our apprentices every month. It's that 20%. So there's 80% where they are with the employer. We need to make sure that we can support the employees to support our learners. And actually, that then, in turn, will help them with the rest of their employees. And that's where we're wanting to go. We know know we're not going to do it overnight, but we need to have a plan in place and we need to make sure that people are confident to have these conversations and that they're really confident to be able to tackle this as well with employers, because that's going to be key and crucial to moving things forward. 
Thanks, Kelly. I'd like to ask Jay, you know, your perspective on this coming from outside of FE. How do you see the role of FE in this um, in this arena? Having listened to everyone, it really focuses, I think, around two main points. And I think the first one I feel more, most passionate about is just emphasizing what everyone's been talking about, the importance of supporting queer young people in education, but also staff, of course, because it's, a, it's the community that people have been talking about. And one of the reasons for that is because what happens when you do face some sort of oppression, you know, or something like that, there is some kind of trauma associated with it, I think. That's been my experience, having talked to a lot of people who've come into work, you know, and what we talk about in our, our backgrounds and experiences, you know. So I think there's this element of creating an environment where somebody can be in that situation and understand that, what again, what is possible. What's possible is that they are supported. You know, individuals come to their apprenticeships um, in that space and they have this understanding, innate understanding that you are amazing, you're worthy, you have value on the same part as everyone else. And so what happens when they come into work is they come with that mindset. Because I think what happens otherwise is people come into work and they're like, well, I felt okay where I was, but I'm not sure. It doesn't feel quite safe. So they could go back into the closet. And there's whole, you know, there's ramifications associated with that, you know, around a career trajectory, that sort of thing. And the other part of it for me, too, that I really like is that, as Lindsay was describing, you know, we have a lot of work to do that extends into the work world as well. There's a lot of work to do. So when people come from an environment where they feel supported and it builds their expectations around this is what's necessary, what's not just what's possible, but what I expect. So going into the work world, they come with that mindset, you know, so when they bump up against any kind of oppression, microaggressions or, or whatever, then they're more apt to say, this is not right, you know, and they can start to be that level of activist within companies. So what we're, see what we're seeing is what was started, you know, in education pulls through to what we have to do in industry anyway, or the work world. So that's kind of the two things that came to my mind. Thanks for that, Jay. I get the idea that education has got potential to create that environment in itself of possibilities, but also to help youngsters raise their expectations and uh, see much further than they have seen in the past. Can I come to you, Millie, then, and um, just get some thoughts from you? Uh, one question I wanted to ask you as well was whether you felt that your teachers understood what it means to be lesbian, gay, bisexual. But anything else you want to say as well? Okay, so... A few years ago, I attended a school in this area. It's quite a well-known school as well. And I don't know how much it's changed from now, but I remember like when I first realised that I was a lesbian and I went to speak to one of the mentors about it and like was asking about how to come out and everything and like what they can do. And they didn't actually advise me to do anything, in fact, the only thing was advised was that I kept it in and that I didn't tell anyone to avoid any hate crimes. So instead of just coming out and being like hate crimed in school, I wasn't allowed to wear my badge. They just advised not to tell anyone instead of actually dealing with the people who wouldn't like take it on board very well. And looking back on it and how things have evolved these days, it's actually quite, until recently, I didn't think it was that bad until I've kind of reflected on it and it's quite shocking now. Which is why I appreciate it so much that Lindsay organised that we can have like staff training in LGBT plus communities. And recently we had a staff training day 
to educate the teachers on things like pronouns, which is great because I know how much that means to people. With just stuff like even the small things like the email footers containing pronouns, I just think that's amazing. Like we would have never had that in school and it's just so nice to be in an environment where that can be like more normalised and I appreciate it so much. You know, it's nice to like kind of feel like we're being asked about stuff instead of just teachers assuming it feels like a safe college to be in. Thanks for those insights. It's shocking that we have to hide. Um, we have to hide things. And um, I hear what you're saying about the pronouns, etc. But what more can we do to help teachers feel comfortable? Because I think there's something about teachers feeling uncomfortable in this space. What more can we do to help teachers feel more comfortable in having these what can be difficult conversations for them? Instead of just assuming, ask, because at the end of the day, no one's going to care if you just ask, if you have just a question about it. Instead of just guessing and getting it wrong, you can just ask and get it right instead. And then it's teaching other people and no one's going to be upset or offended. I think, Jeff, this is where we begin to talk about intersectionality, about learning and understanding the views of others and understanding how we can meaningfully collaborate with diverse groups of people. And I have a a big thing which is about hearing and honouring the words of others because it's not the responsibility of a marginalised group to do all the work in educating people on their experiences. That sort of thing takes an awful lot of emotional labour and shouldn't really be taken for granted. So everybody needs to be prepared to help by undertaking some of their own work and doing a bit of research and trying to educate themselves. So placing it back on all of those individuals. And sometimes it's about asking yourself if you're the right person to be taking up that space or speaking on those certain issues. We need to centre the stories around the actions and those with the lived experiences. Don't speak for them and don't speak over them. Empower people. And one thing I'm hoping that we'll bring in and that uh, I've used previously uh, is a human library, because that's a great way to allow real conversations to take place. And if you haven't got diversity around you, then invite people with those perspectives to contribute. And with the advent of Microsoft Teams and Zoom, it's so easy to do that. So listen and learn, welcome people from diverse backgrounds, mentor them, nurture them, allow them to tell their stories and help educate. Thanks, Linz. I'm still struggling, though, in there are some people who will adopt. Yes, they'll come on board very, very quickly. They'll understand it. But there are lots of people who are actually afraid. Uh, they're afraid of making mistakes. Back to Kelly's point earlier on. And I think those are the ones who I think find it very difficult. So I'm, I'm quite keen to understand how do we get to those people who are afraid, who uh, don't want to make mistakes um, and who lack that confidence. 
I think one of the things, Jeff, sorry, it's Aaron here, and, and Liz has just given some examples of it. One of the things that makes a difference is if the general culture of the training provider or the employer, or in this case, the college, is one which is not a culture of fear. Um, so this is not just fear about making a mistake in relation to anything to do with people being queer or LGBTQ or whatever. It's actually about how do we deal with mistakes that we all make at work or in the workplace? Uh, what's the culture of the college like? Is it a, a learning culture that will say, well, hang on, I got that wrong. I didn't mean to offend. What can I learn from this? And, and all the rest of it. So the tone and culture that's set by the values of the organisation generally, I think, will make it easier to tackle those sorts of things. That That's just one observation anyway. Thanks. I think that, that's spot on. And it's it's not it's no different to anything else. It's about the culture of an organisation that drives uh, this whole inclusion piece. Jay, you had some thoughts on this as well? Yeah, just a, a couple, because I think it's it's a carry idea kind of um, building on what we've heard a little bit already, which is, a re I think it's the human library concept in a way, because what I've noticed is creating space for people to tell stories. And I agree that I don't always feel compelled, you know, to tell my story and educate. I agree that sometimes that's exhausting. However, I also agree with, uh, with Lindsay when she was talking about, or they were talking about this idea of leadership. You know, and sometimes you have to be out front and you have to tell your story. So I think creating space for people to tell their stories is important because it creates empathy and also creates safety in a way for people to have open space to say, now's the time. You know, if you have questions, look, here's a person who's just been vulnerable with you to talk about their lived experience and have a have a go. Then the other one is slightly more business focused in a way, because I think um, when you talk about a sort of fear of moving forward, I'm working with a small company that's just uh, growing at the moment and they're starting their, their inclusion journey. And I think to an extent, they're a bit afraid getting it wrong. So they're bringing me in to help, I would say. But one of the things I'm helping them do is connect it directly to what they're about and what they want to achieve, including kind exactly. of their values. Yeah, but also exactly. if they want to be successful, then they need to focus on this. So it like gives that extra incentive in a way to say, this is not somebody else's problem. This is not an add on. This is not an extra. In fact, if we want to be the best that we can be in our organization, then we absolutely need to focus on this. You know, so I think in that sense, it sometimes gets people over that hurdle saying, well, I'm afraid or whatever, but I have to be courageous, you know, as a leader in this organization and I have to lead from the front. And this is the way that I can do that. That's brilliant because it's just about. As Anne said, it's linked to the culture of the organization, but actually also to the business strategy of the organization. It's not something which is different and outside of what we're doing on a daily basis. And that, I think, is a strong message for our FE leaders, that this is something that you do. It's part of what your business strategy should be, because it brings, as Lindsay said, it brings the best out of people. It's part of the culture of the organization that we make mistakes and we get over that. And it's part of just what we do. Lindsay, you wanted to come in. Yeah, we, we enable change by changing mindset. And as Anne suggested, it's cultural. And 75% of the time, these change efforts fail, um, mainly because people aren't fully aligned or prepared for the transformation. And I'm very keen that we challenge the way it's always been done, that we set out the new vision. We ask people to check their privilege so that they understand their own viewpoint and begin to see a wider rainbow and ex and explore that 
And really, this is about embedding the can-do culture and keeping everyone focused on what could be. And perhaps what some colleges may need is to look at using a framework such as the Investors in Diversity Award or the Stonewall Award or the Rainbow, Rainbow Flag Award, because that will actually help to provide a framework in order to be able to work through of some of those elements. And what I'm really excited about about this particular project is that with Kelly's support and the padlet of resources that are going to accompany, that there will actually be an opportunity for college leaders and others in ITPs to be able to go, I I don't have to do all of the thinking myself. I don't have to go and work out what good resources look like, but leaders will be able to pick up those resources, use them with their staff and begin to support them to challenge their own beliefs and to learn and develop. Kelly, do you want to come in on uh, yeah. that point? Yeah, just to say, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And that's one thing that we're really keen to emphasise continuously. This isn't a one size fits all. And yes, there are elements of best practice, but it may not work for you. It may not work with all your learners because we're all different and everybody's had a different journey and experience. And actually, you need to be looking at this on a person centred approach when you're working with your learners or when you're working with an apprentice in the workplace and actually let them take the driving seat. This is their life. Don't try and dictate to them or come from a, a certain standpoint or view point open the conversation up and let them take charge of their own destiny as well it's not about the fact about fixing things it's about opening the conversation up and and actually making sure that we can truly support individuals thanks kelly can i come back to you again because i I know you were going to put a challenge out to to the the sector in terms of a charter and i think we'll do this we're going to do a similar thing towards the end of the month around the whole inclusion right across the board just a challenge as lindsay said challenge the sector to think differently, challenge them to check their privilege and challenge the sector to take some action. And I know, can you give us a brief idea of what your challenge is in terms of the charter for LGBTQ+. So our challenge to the providers is to ensure greater inclusivity for all learners and staff, to ensure that they truly reflect continuously on their inclusion throughout their programmes, their curriculum design, their inclusion for their learners, that they encourage and ensure that staff are given the opportunity to be able to access support or training to feel more confident to ensure that they tackle any inappropriate behaviour, banter, whatever it might be, that they have the confidence to do so. And it's rapid. It's not something that's left. This is not something that goes by the wayside or we wait till next month till we see that apprentice to bring that up again. This is ongoing. This needs to be dealt with. You know, there needs to be that sense of urgency to make sure that particularly as well when we're in groups, that other learners do not feel that that's okay because it's gone unchallenged. We don't sweep things under the rug. We have those conversations. I think that's really important, Kelly. And I think in some instances, it's very clear that there may be some direct discrimination or harassment and it's quite overt. The difficulty, though, I think for for a lot of people is really identifying and eradicating the microaggressions. And by that, I mean the really subtle antagonisms that many people do not even recognise. 
and they become more complex at the juncture of intersectionality where protected characteristics may overlap and become amplified and certainly this is something that Millie and I have discussed within the college because everyone has got their own unique experience of discrimination and oppression but my job is very much to facilitate opportunities that allow people to improve their understanding and what it means to marginalise in order to eradicate it. And it's worth having those conversations about what a microaggression is. And what I would bring us back to was Millie's point. Don't just assume, ask, because most people are willing to share and be upfront and say, well, I didn't like the way that you spoke to me then, or in the future, please, could you try and use my preferred pronouns, which are, or whatever, or don't describe that as so gay. That's just not appropriate. But those things still exist and we need to challenge it. I think as well, it's that normalisation piece as well, that actually as standard practice, whenever we, you know, open our training sessions up, we ask people to provide their preferred pronouns and it's just standard. It, it will just become the norm. But at the moment, it's introducing that for a lot, whereas actually we want to be in a position where that's just standard practice. That's normal. It's expected. I really like what everyone's saying in terms of the the swiftness of dealing with things, being mindful and thoughtful. I think also sometimes it can come across as a lot. Oh, wow, I have, all the, I have to keep on top of it all. And sometimes it feels that way. What I would offer, you know, from my own experience, I would say to you is be gentle with yourself and hold compassion, you know, for yourself and the, the environment that you're working in a little bit. Because part of, I think, the story that we need to tell is that it does take some time. And I think I've heard that and some of the language, and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that sometimes, in particular, leaders that I work with, this mindset that we're like, we're, we're going to have this training, and tomorrow it's going to be great, you know? But um, in fact, as queer people in particular, our lived experience is this is a sustained way of kind of being in the world. You know, we, we experience microaggressions daily, probably, you know, and bigger sort of aggressions, um, probably less often, I hope. But I think the, the important thing to keep in mind for ourselves work, doing this work, uh, but also for leaders in particular saying, have a plan, stick to it, absolutely, you know, be dedicated and also be gentle and compassionate with yourselves, you know, that it's going to take some time. I mentioned this one company I'm working with and their plan is over at least two years, you know, and they're already kind of on the front foot. But it's being mindful that it takes a bit of time, you know, for everyone to step into the space and feel comfortable. Yeah, I was just going to reinforce that, Jay, actually, because whenever you're developing new ways of doing things or when it's new to to you and before it just becomes the established practice and so that it doesn't seem formulaic and, you know, set, it requires uh, exactly those ingredients you've identified, which is time and patience and, and practice and a kind of gentleness and compassion towards yourself and others. But interestingly, I think it also requires, again, it slightly goes back to the point about culture that I was making, but a culture where it is appropriate to learn how to challenge people. I mean, I've worked in so many workplaces where it's just about point scoring. It's just about only feeling that you're validating yourself if you absolutely annihilate the other. 
you know, at the risk of sounding completely controversial, but we're talking of a, a very low level psychological uh, state of mind such as exists in uh, Putin at the moment. You know, I can only be big if I smash everybody else and conquer in the most destructive way. So there's something for me here about, and I just wanted to say at City and Guilds, where I'm the chair of the board rather than the chief exec, but the, the chief exec and the senior team and the staff, are, as well as doing all the things you've been talking about in your institutions and workplaces today, they're, they're also trying to make it a lot easier to challenge in a constructive way, but challenge you must if you experience uh, something that's wrong. It might not just be a microaggression, it might be something else to do with the way something is being done in the workplace, but do it in a way in which you respect and value and honour another person. And that's kind of not what we, we don't see it around us, we don't see it in politics, we don't. So it's quite a difficult ask, but I think it's essential. I love that. I love that so much. I think, Anne, can I just add something there? I know what you're saying there about your work in City and Girls, but it stems from the leadership as well. I remember us having some really tough conversations, you and I, when we were working together, and that didn't stop us from, from getting on and doing something different. It's it's that ability to feel comfortable being challenged. And I know it takes time, but Millie hasn't got time. And, you know, uh, a student is in college for a very, very short period of time. So, Millie, when you hear us say this, you know, what do you think we need to do just to speed up this process? Just have the conversations. We need to start like talking about it in tutorial times because we've had over the years, we've had a lot of talk about like internet safety and everything to do with that. Everyone's pretty educated on this. Now we need to take a further step and talk about all of the different terms and like what they mean why we can't say some things and just talk about it and really use that time for people who aren't here for an extended amount of time to get them further educated on it. That's that's lovely there. There's something about, I think, what happens with us. We think we're very clever people and we, we love talking about all the technical stuff because we know we can we can do those things in that really analytical way. We can do that. But something like this, which relies on, as you said, you know, on time, patience, compassion, we find it really hard to let ourselves go. So I take on board what you're saying there, Millie. Absolutely. That's what we have to do. And I would say, listen to the students. One of the things that Millie and I discussed was the fact that we require on lots of forms non-binary options for individuals to actually either choose male or female and we have to recognize that that's HR system student enrollment forms it was even when we were having to do the compulsory COVID testing the NHS website again required a binary option to be to be made which immediately places a barrier for some people to become included. And I appreciate that it might be the Department for Work and Pensions or it might be the Department for Education that have their reasons to ask individuals to identify in a binary way. Not that I'm condoning either, but internally, what can we do to respect the rights of the individual to actually declare their gender identity in a way that they feel comfortable with 
So our students may prefer us to use AFAB or AMAB, meaning assigned female or male at birth, as opposed to only a binary choice of sex. My preference is, is actually not to have to use either and to be able to have an opportunity for individuals to choose an alternative. But the key thing is train the staff and be clear Look at how you can incorporate other ways so that students can choose the name by which they're going to be known by, not necessarily their given birth name. And remember, most people don't want to cause offence. So let's work to educate one another and start to have those conversations. And particularly as leaders, look at systems that might be placing unintended barriers in front of participation. Thanks. That's a really clear message. Now, what, what's stopping us doing things internally? As you say, the DFP have their ways of working. That's fine. Let them get on with it. But what's stopping us from creating that space within our institutions that we can have metrics we can have things categorized in the way that we want to have things understood nothing is stopping us from there and that's back to the leadership question we're running out of time one one last thing i'd love us to cover here now which is around the curriculum back to millie again um when you i was about to say suffer when you when you have the curriculum um that has been worked out in in college how inclusive is that curriculum for you how, how do you feel about that curriculum know where to start for this one um you are studying a creative subject yes. aren't you so is it easier would you say in I'd your say subject that it's area easier in my subject area to be in as open as out as i want mainly because i'm doing art by the way so it's like really nice to be able to express yourself but even when i was doing things like english when i did my gcses here as well i've never felt ashamed to be my one true self in this college. And I think it's easy to be open and express that through my art as well. So it kind of works. It's obviously the curriculum that you've established there, Lindsay, which is helping students to feel comfortable talking about themselves, but it's not the case everywhere. And Kelly, what sort of work are you doing to support practitioners around that, developing the curriculum? So obviously for some sectors, it's more challenging than others. You've got some that are predominantly male industries, for example. There's still some of the historical alpha male egos that are potentially there and in those workplaces. So actually, it's working to address those barriers, providing the information, providing the guidance to the tutors for when they're going out and speaking to learners, but also those inclusive classrooms as well. Again, like we mentioned, it's not something which happens overnight. But even just simple things like adjusting our materials, which we have, having a look at the incorporation of pronouns, which I mentioned earlier, and actually having practitioners coming together and looking at are we truly inclusive in our classrooms with what we deliver, how we deliver it. And actually, do we need to come back to not necessarily the drawing board fully because, you know, it's not to start again, but is it actually just some minor tweaks that we could make into our curriculums that would be more truly inclusive than using stereotypical images for particular sectors, which just breeds it even more and actually limits inclusion as much as anything else? Thanks, Kelly, for that. And it's something which we need to focus in on this curriculum piece. I know we're running short of time and I just wanted to ask each participant really 
a question about what's their key message for uh, the FE sector in this area of LGBTQ+. What do we need to do as leaders in this sector? Can I come to Anne, then to Jay, then to Kelly, then Lindsay, and then finally I want Millie to give that final message. Anne? Well, I think get ahead of the curve now. Use this as yet another platform to demonstrate how the further education sector can lead the way and that that can be such a big influencer for the workplace. Because as we've heard, what we do essentially in in FE is provide people who will go out to work and lead in their own communities and workplaces. And if all the young people and older people, in fact, that go through FE colleges can feel that anything to do with matters to do with their own identity has centre stage and that FE values that and it can lead this, then I think it's a very good thing for FE and FE's leadership for that should be acknowledged. So, yeah, please uh, step up to the plate, FE leaders. It's a lovely challenge for FE leaders there. Could I go to, I think it was Jay. Yeah, nice one. And so I'm often asked, in fact, what do I do as a, a leader? And I always tell them three things. One is talk about it and use the words LGBTQ plus and be overt. You know, don't talk just about inclusion. The second thing is show up. So if there are events, activities, there is power and presence. You know, so if you're a leader in the organization, just by showing up and even better, if you say a few words or, you know, show up in that in that sense is great. And then finally, provide resources. And oftentimes leaders think, oh, that means money. We don't have a lot of money, but that's not true. We talked about culture a lot. It's about creating a culture where leaders provide time for others to get involved and support um, activities that we're talking about here today. So those are my key messages. Thanks, Jay. Kelly. So for me, it would be commit, commit to making the change. And by making that commitment, you're committing to putting the time and resource into making the changes that you need to make. And ultimately, we do need to make them. The other thing is to normalise the conversations within your organisations, because ultimately, if we're reducing the stigma, then we're going to make people feel more comfortable to be their true authentic selves in our environments anyway. And then thirdly, don't ignore anything. It's better to do something and get it wrong than do nothing at all and use every experience as a learning experience. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you for that, uh, Lindsay. The one word that I would leave people with is celebrate. Don't pigeonhole people from underrepresented groups. Bring people together and have conversations related to diversity and inclusion. Recognise and applaud everyone's strengths and, if possible, connect individuals, perhaps through mentoring or similarly. Following on from what Lindsay just said, I think celebration is probably one of the key things which is why they're having our Pride event, not only to unite the community, but to unite the allies as well and make it a nice place for everyone and just talk about it and speak. Thank you. Some lovely messages there. Celebrate, commit, turn up. And it's about acting, isn't it? It's about doing some stuff. So thank you, everyone, for um, your time today. Can I go to Apinda just to, to close? Because Apinda has been sitting there quite a bit. Apinda has, um, she worked with me last year and she drives a lot of this stuff very quietly in the corner. So Apinda, can I have your last word, please? 
Thank you, Jeff. It's really lovely just to sit back every so often and just to listen. Because also as a former program manager at ETF for leadership programs, and now my new role as a diversity and inclusion lead, I'm always constantly trying to learn and really hear what I see as the experts. From Millie, who's a, or one of our young students, a future leader, a clear future leader, to our really kind of um, experts and people who know so much about sector, who've been through like Dr. Anne Lim, which is really nice to listen and learn. And my reflection always is that any key points that we can have, like turning up is what you said, Jay, to making that commitment from Kelly to Anne, talking about her expertise within the working environment, that's where Millie's gonna go or our students are gonna go. You wanna go with your real authentic self and knowing that's gonna be valued. I think one of the key things always comes from me seeing the value in people, regardless of their background, their lived experience, they're stepping into a new role, you get a new student coming through the doors, who are they? Let's look at them in their person, whatever they may be, rather than, oh, there's got a new bunch of students in this year, or, or a new couple of you know, employees, and just saying, who are you? How can we help you? How do we celebrate you? But what are you going to bring to the table? And how can we meet you halfway? I think to me, inclusivity just draws everything together. And it's always listening and learning. So I, I just want to say thank you to you all for your time today and for your input. It really helps me to do my role with Jeff, with everybody across the sector to really kind of push forward all the great work that's going on and help change those microaggressions into being not normal, but it's helping those people to understand how they can cause hurt, trauma, damage. And let's get rid of that. If you don't know, ask, but please do it in a, like as Jason, in a real compassionate way. So we're not hurting people. And we're also constantly learning ourselves to make ourselves better as well. So thank you to everybody today. Thanks, everyone. And thanks, Apinda. We'll be judged by you, Millie, right? Because we can yeah. talk all day long. You're going to be here long after we've gone. So you will judge us. And uh, I hope we will come out um, having done something good today. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, Millie. Thanks, everyone. And um, we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to our podcast around LGBTQ plus initiatives across the FE sector. If you would like to find out more about how Education and Training Foundation is supporting EDI across the FE sector, please visit our website et-foundation.co.uk. Thank you.